I'm Tim Richard. And I'm Michelle Bolin. And you're listening to the More Train, Less Pain podcast. More Train, Less Pain. The biggest struggle trainers have with building and scaling their online training programs, attracting remote fitness clients, and maintaining communication is having quality videos that provide exercise technique and coaching instruction. So stop searching the internet. You will never find them unless you go to michellebond-training.com. Imagine all of those funny looks your programs get when clients are trying to figure out what an exercise is instead of having clear instruction. Gain access to over 900 exercise videos and hundreds of positional variations that you see on my Instagram to send to your remote clients with the new MBT Exercise Database 3.0. You will not find a contralateral reach walking lunge, a front foot elevated ipsilateral cable row, a Komodo crawl designed for posterior expansion, or a frontal plane hip shifting med ball slam on YouTube or anywhere else for that matter. The new database drops June 2021. Be the first to be notified about a pre-sale by signing up for the waitlist using a link in my Instagram profile. And now back to the show. All right, we ready? Fucking enough. <laughs> Michelle, what are we drinking about? Um, as always, our episodes and my um, rare drinking habits are sponsored by Casamigos, Blanco specifically. Future season two sponsor of the More Train, Less Pain podcast. Hopefully. But let the people know, what are we drinking to celebrate? The only thing to drink when you celebrate, which is tequila. Um, is, your, is it your favorite alcoholic beverage? I'm going with Herradura with a little bit of lime and okay. club soda and agave. The answer I was trying to draw out of you, though, was we are drinking to celebrate the exciting conclusion of season one of More Train, Less Pain. <laughs> Very exciting. I am, I'm drinking Casamigos on ice, and that's it. Yeah, Michelle is substantially more badass than I am with her alcohol. I wanted to get to that. So we are doing a little sign off to season one of our podcast, and we thought a fun format for this episode would be to discuss the top three biggest takeaways for each of us from out from all of our season one guests. Another way to think about this would be a countdown of some of the biggest through lines that seem to be appearing over and over the more we talk to these people that are far more intelligent than at least me in the fields of physical therapy and strength conditioning. Yes, very exciting. Let's kick it off. All right. Um, I will kick it off with my number three biggest takeaway, biggest through line from season one of the More Train, Less Pain podcast. And that is, I'm trying to decide right now, that would be submaximal training, both in the context of strength and the context of aerobic training. You look indignant. Yeah, I was like, oh, I was going to do that one. Because <laughs> okay, but the, the let me, tables let me have turned here in which I hardly prepared and Tim actually prepared. And so him saying that just threw my spontaneous kind of number or idea out the window. 
I also prepared by making two tequila beverages ahead of time, putting them in a fridge for this exact moment in time. Oh, wow. That's impressive. I know. Anyway, submaximal training, my third biggest takeaway, both in a strength context and in an aerobic conditioning context. This is something that Tony Gentlecore talked about with uh, no longer pursuing weights that are above 80 or 85% of an athlete's one repetition max. I believe he cited this. I'm not going to call it a case study, but essentially a case study where he got a woman's deadlift that was already pretty strong from something like 290 to 360. And she never touched a weight that was above 70% of a run rep max. Mm -hmm. Eric and so Eric Schmidt and Jared Boyd of the Memphis Grizzlies, unofficial professional, professional basketball sponsor of this podcast, both discussed the utility of strength endurance metrics in their testing and training of players. So a lot more 10 repetition maxes, and 20 repetition maxes, as opposed to like the traditional one rep maxes that were taught in school. And Todd Bumgardner, uh, who really specializes in the preparation of backcountry athletes, talked extensively about how underutilized lower intensity aerobic training is for getting these hunting athletes that he trains out into the backcountry and able to, you know, walk slowly for five or 10 miles before they actually get down to the nitty gritty of their sport, of their activity. Yeah. And you could add probably group Seth and Todd together with that when they specifically both talked about um, very low heart rate activity. So long walks um, and Todd talked about long walks under like light load. Um, So yeah, that was, that was a good one. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. So that was, I mean, probably a third, if not a half of our guests at some point mentioned the value of submaximal training. And I think a lot of us get into this industry because we're attracted to the one rep max or, you know, running at full speed, but kind of just showed me, it was sort of a little bit of confirmation bias with some things I was already playing around with in my head, but just, you know, the, the value of not always having your foot on the gas pedal, full tilt, like redlining constantly. Yeah. And, you know, I have a, a, a different choice for best practical takeaway, but um, I think since those episodes, especially with Todd and Seth, I am very conscious about my personal uh, low heart rate work and especially counting my steps on a daily basis. So I have it set in my watch to average 10,000 steps a day. And, you know, mo- most likely I-, I can double that in a day with like a long coaching day. But stuff like that is something I'm like focused on a little bit more instead of pushing the gas pedal with, with weights constantly. Absolutely love it. And as a little palate cleanser between each of our three biggest takeaways from season one, we will be doing season one superlatives just to keep things a little bit light, a little bit fun. So as, as a little intermission, we present to you the most apeshit answer to the, what was your last workout question that we ask all of our guests? Michelle, any thoughts about this? Well, I just remember Seth's and how interesting it was because it's something I would definitely do. He basically put 20 minutes on the clock. Maybe it's like the least interesting actually, but it's something I would, I just remember and I would probably do myself and uh, his wife and him just kind of picked like three exercises and just kind of did a few reps. And then when 20 minutes is up, they were done. I thought he was going to mention something about like laying in sunlight and feeling the water molecules in his body just shimmer well, with heat. 
Well, when I picture him doing this, I picture him awkwardly enough with his shirt off and like socks off in the grass and, you know, taking in everything. I nominate for the most apeshit answer to the what was your last workout question, Mr. Todd Bumgartner, who, if our devoted guest will remember, answered that for 40 minutes that morning, he had done lateral sled drags back and forth in his gym in absolute silence. He liked this because it was a frontal plane activity. He liked this because it was low level conditioning and he liked to mix in the absolute silence because that would prepare him most optimally for his backcountry treks. It's unbelievable. I recently saw something about Doug Kachian. Uh, he was dragging a sled behind him and he had his newborn baby like in the front up and down his driveway. And I was like, that is life goals right there. Did you, did you see Campo's comment on that? No, I did not. Something like Milo's baby is greater than Milo's bull. Oh, gosh. I thought that was very funny. That was very nerdy, but very funny. Very clever. All right. One superlative down, one through line down. Michelle, hit us with your number three. Mine was talking through the PRI episode. So really sitting down. This is probably the episode I prepared I mean, not the most for, but maybe the most intensely for, because we lined up a bunch of questions and topics. And then I really had to dive deep into my own belief system, uh, the practical ways that I apply PRI. And I really had to summarize some concepts and think about how I see it misapplied, uh, the lines of thinking and methodology that has inspired me to explore more. Um, and I think that that episode really was useful to me, which I enjoyed. And for our guests listening, that episode is entitled What PRI Got Right, and it is episode four this season. Did you see a lot of those concepts become through lines that were mentioned by any of our other guests? Oh, gosh, you you hit me on that one. Um I got a lot of feedback and I know you did too from listeners. And I would say that in regards to our listeners response to it um, and their feedback from it in, in, in terms of the guess, I don't, I don't know if I can say that. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely fair. It was definitely the most audience engaging episode that we put out, which is interesting. I mean, it says something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. What's the next superlative? Hit, it, hit us with one, Michelle. Oh, okay. All right. The guest we'd least like to face in an impromptu powerlifting meet. Ooh, you're going to need to stall for me. I think you should nominate someone. Okay. I am going to say Eric Smith. And what? I know, I know, what? That may, I know this may surprise you, but people who know Eric, it shouldn't surprise them at all. Like I've seen Eric lift for many years in grad school at Springfield. And I don't know if he leads on how incredibly strong he is. And that's, that would be my choice. Fair enough. I mean, I, I imagine he's training for his, his eventual transition from you know, head strength and conditioning coach of the Grizzlies to just playing for the Grizzlies. Yeah, 100%. I mean, he was talking to me, I think, before the show of like, he just felt like it was a nice day outside and he wanted a long run and he ended up running like a marathon. And then like, I know what kind of Animal. weight he can put up for his lifts and he's 
He's a monster. Yeah. Incredibly nice human being too. Yes. Which helps. I will go with, for guests we'd least like to face in an impromptu powerlifting meet, Mr. Tony Gentlecore. Because yeah. the motherfucker has just been like deadlifting 600 pounds for like 15 <laughs> years. True. Yes. Like, <laughs> like there was just documented footage of him squatting, benching, uh, and pulling ridiculous amount of uh, amounts of weight. And I, I don't think there's any situation in which I would come out on top. That's fair. That's fair. I, I thought we were going to, you were going to go with Todd most likely because he's competed in powerlifting competitions, but I can definitely see Tony. His numbers are extremely impressive. Yeah. Well, listen, if this like powerlifting is a weight class sport. So I know Steph has also competed in powerlifting and you and her might be in a closer weight class. Yes. Yes. I mean, outside of Tony and Todd and Eric, I will challenge any of our other guests to a pound for pound contest. If we measure relative strength and include body weight in the equation, I feel pretty confident. Tune into my YouTube channel to see Michelle Bolin <laughs> out deadlift Fergus Connolly pound for pound. <laughs> yeah. This message has not been approved by Fergus Connolly. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that would draw no attention whatsoever. Literally a dozen people would watch that. Yeah. That's, Maybe even 20. They would make their day, I bet. Okay. My number two through line for season one, and that would be the utilization of key performance indicators, KPIs, combined with an eye for the art of movement, as well as genuine physical connection. So I know I combined a lot of things there. But KPI is essentially trending us in a very objective direction in both of our fields. We want to accumulate objective points of data that tell us that our interventions are going in the right direction. M numerous, many, many of our guests discuss that concept, but they also paired it with this need for looking at the fluidity and the the artistic aspect of human movement, as well as the value of genuine connection. So I know, uh, you know, Jared and Eric are Memphis Grizzly boys. They both talked extensively about key performance indicators. Fergus Connolly, who worked in pro sports, who works in pro sports extensively, talks about key performance indicators as useful things. But also, I remember what he said about needing to choose the right key performance indicator. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you just start to design interventions to ramp that up. So making sure that your KPIs actually related to the thing that you're trying to improve. And I thought, I think that's a really, really important concept, but then you have people like Seth and Seth did talk about specifically, I recall shoulder internal rotation as his personal metric for whether or not he has sufficient movement variability. But at the same time, talked about the value of watching a person walk, listening to a person speak, being genuinely attuned to the individual in front of you. So in my mind, there's this beautiful duality of like, you want to make sure objectively you're getting things to trend in the right direction, but you all, you also want to make sure that you're fostering genuine connection with your people and keeping an eye out for the beauty that is inherent to human movement. And I think if we tend to those three things, then we as physical therapists, we as strength and conditioning coaches, we as trainers are all going to be like, dramatically pushed forward. Yeah, as long as you're not polarized to one side, because I think Fergus talked a lot 
about the usefulness of subjective data. So kind of what you're, you're talking about is relationships and um, the quality of their behavior, seeing changes in that, but then also having objective data to make sure you know or not getting feedback that what you're trying to accomplish is actually being accomplished, but not being so hyper-focused on just the objective data. Yeah. And I think like I've been getting into a lot of Danny Matei's stuff, like the PT entrepreneur kind of stuff lately. And it, it seems to be that what separates people that are simply good clinicians from people that build practices and build a lifestyle has nothing to do with this mastery of a clinical objective skill set and has everything to do with how you can market yourself and how you can connect to both groups of people and individual people. And so, I mean, it, this is almost taking an unfairly broad statement and applying it to this episode, but I really do think there's a marrying of this, this objective clinical mastery with just this ability to connect and, and like any meaningful non-bullshit kind of way. I think it, what you just said, my goal for season two would really to be bring someone on who can talk about that stuff. You should, you should get in contact with that guy. I think his name is Seth Oberst. <laughs> well, more so like the business side of it, like how to market yourself, how to communicate your message, how to develop I've, relationships. I have an idea for that. Okay. Let's, wow, let's not tease it too hard. Yeah. Let's, we, uh, we, we need to take like a Game of Thrones level hiatus between seasons. Uh, we will definitely. We got to recover our energies. All right. Superlative. I'm going to go with, the most pointless utilization of multisyllabic GRE words. Michelle, any ideas? I mean, we're gonna have the same opinion here. So you, I, I mean, it's easily Jared. <laughs> I so I I thought Jared initially because he had some really good ones where a hundred percent of them were correct and utilized in an absolutely appropriate context. But I think myself is probably the right answer there. Because I think the, the, the endearing thing about my jury words is that 60% of them are not used correctly. I mean, I would disagree with that. So in listening to this podcast, it actually becomes like a GRE vocabulary prep course where you hear me say a word that you don't know, you go Google it, you figure out, oh, that asshole doesn't know what he's talking about. And then you don't forget the word. My favorite thing about you is I think it was, I remember this very clearly. It was on Seth episode and you brought up something that they taught in academics like years ago and you said the name of it and Seth like corrected you, but like e neither of you were like sure, like what you guys were talking about, but like you do a great job of really connecting it to many different things that will probably be on the GREs one day. Thank you. Thank you. At least if we continue to shape the GREs. True. All right. It's my turn, right? Yeah. Number two through line slash takeaway from season one. Okay. So I would say my experience talking with my personal coach, Eric Huddleston, I mean, we, we talk frequently, we talk about our programming, I send him videos, but to sit down and actually have questions listed out in length, 
in detail about his mindset, moving phase to phase, exercise progression to exercise variation. That was a unique opportunity and I appreciated that. And I thought he did a fantastic job explaining exercises. But then when I listened back to it, I wish I kind of dived deeper and a little bit into some terminology because, you know, you listen to someone talk and you kind of on the same page, but then you listen to it and maybe, maybe some other people don't understand, or maybe I don't understand that concept as much as I thought Um, I should have hit him with another question with it. But the biggest takeaway during that episode, um, besides maybe contrast pairing, which I mean, I've had discussions with him before and probably used prior to coaching with him in terms of pairing similar movement patterns, quote unquote, or similar exercises together. One focus more on a little bit of loading and then the next kind of focuses more on like velocity through that movement. Uh, Another thing would be lateral regressions. So he talked a little bit about like general population clients. They really they want to do something different. They like novelty. Well, you can still feed that novelty through like a phase-to-phase progression by just picking another exercise that has the same intent. It just looks a little bit different. So you're kind of, it's like a win-win or hidden curriculum. So they think that you're giving them something different and new, but really you're just giving them the same thing. It just looks a little bit different. And the episode that Michelle is referencing is episode 14, titled Programapalooza. Michelle goes solo with Eric Huddleston. Eric with a K, like a Viking warlord. (laughs) And I also received some requests because people saw that I had the program up on the screen and we recorded the screen um, to see the program and turn it into a video. So I actually did that. And you can find the link to that in my profile on Instagram. Damn, that's adding some value, Boland. Try. Yeah. Well, the, you got to listen to the people, you know? I'm curious, out of all of our guests, this isn't something that we had planned, but out of all our guests, is there is there a, a big question that you would have liked to ask that you didn't get the opportunity to? I think I'm just very conscious. And you, you know this, we talked about this a, a million times, almost every day at, at this point in our lives of using terminology that is falls really under one school of thought and you kind of take it for granted because you under, you understand or, or at least have exposure to that school of thought. But if you haven't been making sure that you can communicate the same thing uh, in a different language and maybe dial it down a notch. So, you know, he, he talked about the word propulsion. He talked about, um, expansion, compression. Yeah. Stuff like that, where, you know, I don't want, one conversation or this podcast to only be understood by a small group of people or just within our circle. I want to be able to explain those concepts and expose it to many, many people. So I think I, I wish I'd kind of dive deeper on, you know, when he talked about internal rotation, external rotation in various areas of the body, just kind of dived a little deeper into that. Yeah. And, um, Quick host note, I'm now on to my second tequila soda line. Cool, 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 cool. So shit's about to get real silly. (laughs) Superlative. Anyone jump out at you, Michelle? I'm going to skip ahead one. 
I'm going to say guest we'd most like to watch a Hallmark movie of the week with. Oh, that would have to be Seth, right? I mean, (sighs) the thing that I would like about Seth to watch a Hallmark movie of the week with would be regardless of what your response was, if it's this is a waste of time, um, this is just incredibly boring and not worthy on being on television or I'm bawling like an infant. I feel like he would be able to handle that full gamut of emotional, just turbulence that either one of us might throw at him in a very kind of comforting, accepting, dare I say, attuned manner. <laughs> so I mean, I would love to watch a Hallmark movie of the week with him. I would love to watch a season of a 90s sitcom with him. I would volunteer to watch any of the Saw movies with him. Oh, gosh. Wow. I mean, I hands down, the answer is Seth. There really is no other answer. But if It's I not ha- going to be Eric because he can out deadlift whatever <laughs> scary clowns are going <laughs> to. No, please. Come on. Um I mean, set uh, Zach Couples also kind of is on the same plane a little bit with his sensitivity. So watching a Hallmark movie with him, I'd probably be the one to have to reach over and grab the tissues and bring it to him. I hope he listens to this. Um, but Zach and I inappropriately flirt, flirt with each other constantly. So I would probably Who's, have to fix that. Who says it's inappropriate? You know, it's not. Cause, yeah, it's not. It's just, He's just, just two such friends. A good- He's just such Care, a caring about one another. <laughs> exactly. He do, but he does do this incredibly, uh, incredibly creepy thing. He's aware of this. He's told me about this before. And I've experienced it in person like five times. He will, if you are a patient of his, he will document and, and, and hold a conversation with you while looking into your eyes at the same time. Yeah. I so, mean, that's talent. <laughs> it's something. <laughs> so I just imagine you're watching a movie, you're tearing up. He's facing you head on staring into your eyes as they well up with tears and he's like taking notes on it gosh i mean he's he's skilled he's a skilled clinician he's a man of many talents yes i will take a left turn here for a second and i will say that if i was going to spend time with seth Oberst, it would not be watching a movie like i refuse to go on like dates like movie dates it's just like sitting down and being quiet for two hours, sitting next to someone sounds terrible to me. What's the, uh, I mean, I, you know, listen, I know you're an engaged woman at this point in time, but like, what would be the the perfect Michelle Boland date? Well, I mean, if we're exclusively talking about Seth here, it'd be sitting <laughs> just across the table with him and just like pestering him with questions and just like having not trying to get uncomfortable when he's staring into your eyes, you know? You're like, the body keeps the score. Talk about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Say more Seth, stuff about that. Yeah, Seth, what do you think about this? And then when he stops talking 50 minutes later, oh, okay, what do you think about this? Like, that's really, really interesting. I have 10 questions about that. By the way, we've talked a lot about Seth. Seth is uh, episode number six. It's titled Dr. Seth Oberst on Unobstructed Self-Expression and State Variability. It's a good sound and title. I think the other great thing about that is I got to catch up with him. Like I called him after and we had like a very long conversation and, and it wasn't recorded. You motherfuckers don't work. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So that was your number two, right? Yes. Was that a superlative or was that? No, that was a superlative. 
Oh, it was the Hallmark movie of the week one, right? I mean, not to keep talking about Seth, but my number one <laughs> takeaway. Am I, am I jumping ahead? Yeah, yeah, you're jumping okay. ahead. Yeah, you're yeah. the you're the marquee name. So we're going to go my number one takeaway and then we're going to wrap it up with your number one takeaway. Oh, gosh, OK, go. You're you're the one that people are here for. Oh, please. Yeah. I'm the one that just has the, the face for podcasting. I think I think you have the voice for podcasting. If you have found anything this season, if you're if your number one biggest takeaway isn't that you have learned that you are born to be a podcast host, then I literally just don't know what we're doing here. Do you know how many messages I get constantly about the sound of your voice and how people love you? And then I'm like, cool, I'm on the podcast too. Thank you. Constantly for my own <sighs> clients, for my own clients. Uh, my, my face is red right now. <laughs> you should be. Th- thank you so much. I'm about to disappoint you immensely with having my number one not be that. <laughs> although if anyone would like to hire me to be the voice of their podcast tim richard dpt on instagram (laughs) okay my number one takeaway and again i cheated i I combined some concepts here but i I really do think like this was the through line that that permeated pretty much every episode and it was putting these treatment systems pri sfma what have you in their proper context utilizing an eclectic approach and avoiding absolutes and extremes. So I'll give you some examples. Uh, Tony talked about this notion of if we're not maxing out, we're not training in regards to submaximal strength training. Again, pushing back against an absolute, it's either hard training or no training. Jared talked about in reference to tendinopathy, the synthesis of local interventions, isolative strength, and workload, which typically those for physical therapists, those, those, those kind of reside in their opposite silos. Like you either do one of those things, but re- very rarely do you see the synthesis of those things. So he utilizes an incredible eclectic approach in treating specifically patellar tendinopathy. I mean, Seth is literally just like a walking, talking, eclectic approach. This, this should really just be the Seth episode, I think. But he talks, he talked about psychology developmental psychology. He talked about physics. He talked about, I already mentioned development, but all of those inform what he does, how he thinks about the world and, and his, his strategy on managing these, you know, complex pain, um, you know, fibromyalgia, like dysregulated patients that he works with. And he probably wouldn't have the success that he's had without this ability to grab some information from over here, grab some information from over here and really make it this beautiful, cohesive, almost art form. Yes. Be, be well-rounded. Um, a lot of people ask me about my, my learning habits. And I think I definitely went through an appropriate period of um, gathering information, going to a ton of courses, learning a lot about, you know, the field of strength and conditioning, exercise physiology. But I feel like I've recently for the past couple of years have really taken a step back from that and really taken time to consolidate that information, but then also realize that I know enough to service my clients that I have. Um, 
And I want to learn other things. I want to learn about finances. I want to learn about other aspects that may be affecting my clients, other aspects of life that I could have great conversations with my clients about, because that is really going to make me more well-rounded and impact other people more. We'll be back to the show after this quick message. FMS, FRC, PRI, AED, NSFW, the world, specifically the industries of physical therapy and strength conditioning, is filled with confusing acronyms, certifications, and jargon. If you find that you've taken a metric shitload of these types of courses, but have no ability to carry the information over into your practice, you don't need more information. You need a mentor, someone to act as a sounding board, someone to guide you towards putting seemingly disparate parts of the movement and health puzzle together someone to help you develop your own model that you can immediately put into action. While I certainly don't claim to know everything, I'm happy to serve in that role. My one-on-one mentorship calls are 60 minutes and will leave you with a clearer, more confident idea of how to best leverage what you already know in order to best help the next client that walks through your door. Stop collecting piles of three-ring binders and start taking a more active role in your professional development. Find out more by going to timrichart.com slash services. And now back to the show. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think you and I separately have gone through that same exact transition. And I think the other thing that's going on in my life over the past year or two has kind of been this appreciation for the more you can clear out cognitive and emotional clutter, the better you're going to be able to show up for your patients. So I feel like when it was back in the day and I was in physical therapy school or right out of physical therapy school. It was like every month, like what con ed course am I going to take every, every month, just massive influx of new information. And I wouldn't change that for the world, uh, mainly because of the connections I made at those courses, but also for the content. But the dark side of that is that, you know, every month, these new ideas were swimming around in my head, meaning every month I was kind of changing how I was, working with people, the strategies that I was trying. And it didn't give me a long period of time to actually figure out what was going well with my treatment and communication style and what was going poorly. And, you know, like over the past year, I, I, I moved from Boston back to Colorado, um, restarted my practice here, bought a house, planning a wedding, like things are really, really busy. And so I haven't learned very many new clinical things in the past two years. And I've never really felt so confident and solid in my clinical approach because I feel like I've finally gotten enough repetitions doing the same kind of things where now I can better see where the holes in my game are. Whereas before it was just drinking out of a fire hose of like, all right, new information. I got to apply it. New information. I got to apply it. You talk about this and I, I understand that you probably talk about this in your, in your strategy um, program, but you know, it's, I never got to that point where I was doing the same shit long enough to realize in what context it wasn't working. Yeah. I think the dark side of that, as you mentioned is, Well, for some people, I think it's they listen to someone talk, they go to someone's course, and they want to become that person instead of turning it the other way and focus on the gross growth of the self. And that's what happens when you you, like you mentioned who are the people that we mentioned most on this podcast. We probably can list the same four people. Seth. 
Well, not this episode, <laughs> but like overall, we mentioned people like oh. Dr. Pat Davison, Bill Hartman, blah, blah, blah. You remember, yeah. uh, what's the CrossFit guy that you always mention? Mobility guy. Kelly Sturette. Kelly yes, Sturette. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, I get a lot of questions about their models. And, you know, we have mentioned this before, it does upset me because it's like, I have my own ideas, my own processes, how to go through things that work for me. I'm never, ever trying to be someone else. And I'm not someone else's like minion of, or just constantly trying to learn someone else's system and just apply it for myself. I, I take what I need. And these are my ideas and my thought processes. And I agree with that. And it's one of the things I most respect about you. I will say there is a time and place for attempting to impersonate people that you idolize. And I would yes. say very early in your career, when you don't know what the fuck you're doing, if you're on rotations in physical therapy school, if you're on an internship in a strength conditioning program, it sort of makes sense to blindly believe in your mentor for those eight, 12, like however many weeks, because that'll let you get the most out of that learning experience. I think the further you get out from your structured education, the more the onus is placed on you to really think through these concepts yourself and to be your own practitioner. And I think that a lot of people get wrapped up in certain three and four letter acronyms because they miss the security that these programs provided them. A lot of people want to be back in physical therapy school again, when low back, when solving low back pain was as easy as picking the right multiple choice answer on a question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I talk a lot about Springfield college grads because we joke that it's basically the, the Mike Boyle system there. Cause he's an, he's an idol there. He graduated. And I remember getting his programs. I went through some of his courses slash like program that he had. I don't even remember what it was. I worked at a gym that was a Mike Boyle licensed facility. So we ran all of his programs. And then I did an internship at a collegiate program that the strength conditioning coach that I was under was kind of like under him and ran all of his programs with the athletes there. And it was just like, Mike Boyle and Mike Boyle. And it, for that time, it was good for me because I really appreciated him looking back now of how structured and organized his programming templates were. It was every day had a theme. And after a while, I could probably write out, you know, 26 weeks of Mike Boyle strength conditioning programs because it was so structured and it kept me structured as a coach. And now it just lets your your coaching shine through because, you know, whatever's on the program doesn't matter at a certain point. It's how, how you coach it. Yeah. I, I like that. Um, I think that's a really, I think that's really, really important. Like I see just a lot of younger clinicians that really want to make an impact on this field and really want to do right by their people, make themselves absolutely crazy by trying to fit their brain in a single system and label themselves as a PRI person, an SFMA person. Um, I mean, I know that's, that's something you and I get asked all the time. Like I'll get a message on Instagram and being like, Hey, I, I'm looking for PRI rehab. 
and I kindly point out, like, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not accredited. I've taken the courses. I like some of the concepts, but what I do is my own thing. And it kind of going full circle, it, it, I think it goes back to some of the artistic nature of what it is that we do. It's not as simple as strength and conditioning or physical therapy. They're, they're not as simple as just following an algorithm. If they were, then probably our jobs would be taken by machines or taken by apps or something like that. And it, it hasn't happened yet. And I don't think it's going to happen in the next few decades. Yeah, I think there's a confidence that needs to be there for that to happen. And I'm reminded of kind of Nicole's episode um, and Jared's episode, because they kind of touched on those points of, you know, there's so many methodologies and so much to choose from, um, but they, they reach into kind of all the tools that they have available to them. Yeah. And again, to quote someone that you and I both quote way too much, <laughs> Pat Davidson at one point said something to the effect of true maturity and wisdom is the ability to hold two opposing ideals in your head simultaneously. And I think something like to label this in terms of systems, I know we talked about this last episode, but like PRI and McKenzie, like something that people consider to be flexion biased versus extension bias. It's like, if you can understand how those systems say different things, but both might be useful, mm -hmm. then you are not going to be a fragile clinician by extension. I don't think you're going to be a fragile human being. Like you need to not be, almost like militantly religious in what you think to be true. You, you need to have conversations with people that do different things than you. You need to realize that everybody is probably correct to a certain extent and that nuance informs a lot of what we do. Mm -hmm. um, let's just see how many Pat Davison quotes we can spit out on memory. I'm going to go next. So <laughs> one of the quotes he says all the time is, I want to butcher this. Uh, state police can speed on the highway. Basically, it's implying that you need to know the rules before you can break the rules. And relating that to Posture Restoration Institute, it's very algorithmic, if you will, of like, if this is happening, do this. It's like, if, once you understand that, understand the concepts, what they're trying to change, the intent of it, you can make your own kind of path to that. Um, so once you know the rules, you can break the rules, you can become your own thought process. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. I mean, that makes me think of, I remember on something, I, I either, either I saw Bill Hartman say this or someone that, you know, closely follows Bill's stuff, but it was kind of like recommendations for someone that's trying to forge their own path. Like what should they do? Hmm. And I don't recall if it was him or this person's answer, but something to the effect of go back to foundational sciences, right? Yes. Like go back to physics, go back to anatomy. And I think that that approach could work really, really well if you've done the thing for enough years but if you haven't done the thing, if you haven't trained people for five years or treated people for five years, then you won't know what to do with that information. So it's like Eric Schmidt talked about this, this depth and breadth concept. You need, you need depth in your ability to do your skill and you need breadth to appreciate all the other things that might have an influence in that depth. Yeah. And I don't think you can ever really be actualized as a professional, probably as a human being, 
without an appreciation of those concepts. And I think that concept is actually from John Berardi's book. What is it? Change maker or something like that. The precision nutrition guy. No. Yeah. He's a precision nutrition guy, but he wrote a book called like change maker or something like that. But that, that concept in there as well. You want to say but, precision nutrition one more time? And, no. So was, that, stu- was that the first slur of this tequila podcast? It wasn't a slur. I have a speech impediment, Tim. <laughs> this is precision <laughs> nutrition guy. I wish people could see how much you're sweating right now. And if the listeners hear you hit your desk one more time and it pounds the microphone, they're just going to hit click stop and then never return back to this. Leave, leave a five-star review. <laughs> best, best microphone pounding in the podcast game. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Is it my turn for biggest takeaway? I think we need one more superlative before we do that. Oh, fine. Okay. What's... Oh, I, okay. I, I want to I nominate this one. Go the most pleasing podcast host in all of podcast land, voice to listen to at 1.5x. I don't know. Michelle, do you have any ideas? <laughs> actually, I would like to correct that. It's actually 1.25. It's a little bit slower. That would be and who, me. And, oh, is I that mean, because you sound like a chipmunk when we speed <laughs> things up? 1.25x? It takes away my pauses. It makes me sound like I'm talking like really fast and steadily. And then as soon as you take that speed away, it's like slow and pause and you're like, oh my goodness, get to the point. <laughs> what if you just shrugged three cups of coffee right before we recorded these bad boys? I'll try it next season two. Heads up. Yeah. Season two will be the Michelle tries a different upper every podcast episode. It's all, it's all about the preparation. If I like go into it, like ready to crush it, I talk faster. Clearly this episode, I need some work on that. I don't think tequila speeds up conversational <laughs> pace and speed. No, I'm already done. Oh, that's sad. And you didn't bring a refill. Well, I thought, yeah, I mean, I'm not getting crazy right now. Like it's, it's a Thursday <laughs> it's, night. Like let's relax. It's eight o'clock by <laughs> you. Okay. Let's, let's, let's move on. Uh, let's move on to the finale here. Okay, perfect. You know, I feel kind of horrible about this finale because I feel like it's kind of not surprising that this has been the Seth Oberst appreciation, but I feel like it was the most hyped up episode. And the biggest takeaway that I I think I have been very conscious about every single day of my life since that episode, amp it up, is attunement. Every single client, I am thinking during the session, am I tuning to this person? Like when my like watch buzzes because I got a text message, I'm ignoring it or putting it behind my back instead of like glancing down and checking out who who texted me when I know it's not important. Um, My personal life, you know, I'm not on, I think this is my second day in a row without posting on Instagram and I feel fantastic about it. And it's not sitting down and going through my phone. You know, it's sitting at dinner, talking to the people in my life um, and really paying attention. And it's made a huge difference in my life. And I think it's a way I want to lead my life. And of course, I've known Seth before, but um, takeaways from this season, I've greatly if impacted or directly impacted my life. I got to go with that. I love that. I, 
I think what I want to add to that, and then we can kind of discuss it a little bit is Todd's notion of when doing low or moderate intensity cardio, not listening to music Mm. and not checking his phone, just being, just existing for that moment in time. Because I think inherent to that is this idea that in 2021, human beings have the option to distract themselves constantly and to not be bored and to not have to deal with a lack of stimulation and to have to go within. And there's immense value to that. And I think enmeshed in this attunement concept, if you're someone that when you're talking with someone or when you're working with a patient or client feels the need to be doing something else, that's a form of insecurity on your part. That's Mm -hmm. not being okay with the interaction in front of you And that's something to be faced head on. It's not something to be kind of like self-medicated around with just a constant deluge of distraction. And I, I, it's funny that you mentioned that. I mean, I had tried to delete a lot of apps from my phone before that Seth episode, but that, but that Seth episode was the catalyst of me deleting email and Instagram from my phone. And I've kept email and Instagram off my phone since we recorded that episode. I remember it was the Monday after the Super Bowl. So like early February. And like I said, a lot of things have happened in my life where, you know, I I just don't have a lot of free time. I don't have a lot of mental bandwidth, a lot of very good things. Um, But I'm able to face it head on because I'm not just constantly staring down at my fucking phone. Mm -hmm. And you and I have talked before about how I manage Instagram and it's like, I'm never going to go back to having that app on my phone all day because it keeps me from being the most interesting person in your life when you're working with someone needs to be that person. And it needs to be honest and it needs to be authentic. You can't be thinking about the next person. You can't be thinking about your workout. You can't be thinking about what the fuck you're going to make for dinner. Like you just need to give a fuck about them. And I've talked about this before in regards to physical therapy practices. That's how you can charge $150 a visit, $200 a visit. People pay a premium for that. People like to feel like they're being heard, listened to, that they're not just a cog in a fucking wheel. And I, I don't know. I, I love that you brought that up. I, I could not agree more. Like that is a very, very fitting number one for me. It, it's a part of self-care as well, because if that takes a lot of energy from you to be that present at a session, you need to make sure you take care of yourself in some way, in some form that allows you to be able to do that. Yeah. I mean, literally in episode 13, which is titled dark side of the movement profession, Tim goes solo with Zach couples. It's the Zach couple show episode. We talk about this book by Scott Adams, Hmm. where he talks about not time management, but energy management. And if you're constantly checking your text messages, checking your email, checking your social media, every single one of those interactions pulls energy from your day. So if it's two or three o'clock and you're fucking exhausted and you do that shit from 7 a.m. to two or three, if you're listening to this right now, delete your email from your phone, delete your Instagram from your phone, make one of those changes. Notice how much better you feel. Yeah. I mean, we've had this conversation before because I use Instagram basically solely for a, a tool, a business tool. And it's, it's hard because 
you know, I do notice the days that I'm on, not on my phone or not interacting with my technology. And I, I do feel different than the days where I, I am engaging through those, those apps. Yeah. And like, I'm also aware of the hypocrisy of talking yeah. about these things that are distractions on a podcast that someone is probably listening to as they drive or as they walk their dog or something. It's just not, I mean, it's, it's not balance, but it's, it's really self-exploration of how you want to live your life and making those decisions instead of, I think I, it had to have been Seth, obviously, instead of letting those things control you to the point where you don't have choices or, or decisions with the use of it. Yeah. It almost makes me think of, um, you know, like something that's bouncing around both of our fields. That's pretty in vogue would be like intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. and, and it's this notion that you should eat when you're hungry. You shouldn't eat because, oh, it's time to eat. And, and if you can master the impulse of hunger, if you can, or I should say, if you can identify when you might be eating because it's a habit or because you're bored or because you're sad, that becomes a really, really valuable tool to either improve or maintain body composition. And I think a lot of people are looking for distractions, especially people in our field, especially on Instagram, like, oh, I'm just going to dive into this world for two and a half minutes because that's going to make me a better practitioner. It's going to make me a better clinician. Mm -hmm. It could, but not if you're letting that get in the way of connecting with your fucking people. Yeah, 100%. Cool. I think we got one last superlative. Okay. Uh, most obnoxious. Uh, this, this one's not even that good, but we're going to read it. <laughs> most obnoxious audience engaging banter to start an episode. It sure as heck wasn't me. That's for sure. The most obnoxious, obnoxious audience disengaging banter to start. Oh an my goodness! I'm so. Sorry. That would be uh, episode number eleven. Myself and Doctor Michael Camperini. What did you guys Where I think about? I think it was minute nineteen before we got into anything of substance. We <laughs> talked about how jacked Justin Moore is. If you don't know who Justin Moore is, look him up on Instagram. He looks like a fucking superhero. We talked about how Mike Camperini is a much better delicatessen owner name than physical therapist name. We talked about how Campo doesn't work out anymore. We <laughs> talked, and then I, I kicked off the real discussion by saying something to the effect of, did back squats take your mom out for a nice steak dinner and never call her back? Like through and through a third of that episode is just absolute nonsense. And then after that part, it's gold because he is a national treasure that just hasn't yet been discovered. He really is. I don't think people understand how well-rounded his intelligence is. Do you know who the first yeah. person who got me into Jordan Peterson is? Mike Camperini. Yes. I know this because he told me. We used to watch, not, not together, but like at the same time, like his lectures at like Harvard and University of Toronto. And then would come in the next day and just like go, go talk for hours about them. Yeah. I listen, I don't want to give too much away about season two guests, but I'm not going to say that Jordan Peterson is not going to be a season two guest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I hope so. Let's cross our fingers. Uh, anything. So this will be the last time that folks hear from us for a while. Um, anything else that you'd like to say to these fine people on the closing of this first season of our podcast? 
Oh, God, that's a lot of pressure. Uh, one, thank you for listening. It's absolutely a pleasure. If you have any feedback for us on how we can get better, I always appreciate feedback and honesty. Um, so feel free to DM us on Instagram or send us emails. Uh, we would love to hear from you and love to know how we can get better for season two. And also, I really hope you all had as many practical takeaways as I did. I know that talking to Eric Smith and Todd and Seth and Nicole and Fergus and so on and so forth really made me sit down um, with my notes that I took from those episodes and evaluate how I was programming and maybe add some tools to my toolbox. And I, I did actually, I focused a little bit more on uh, strength endurance and played around with that a lot in some of my clients in terms of like sub max work, um, capacity building, and then also turning that into repeating that over time. So repeatability. And so um, that was my biggest takeaway. So I hope you had the same. Yeah. And I, I mean, I would just like to say sincerely from the, from the bottom of my heart, like, thank you to everybody that's listened to a single episode of the first season to everybody that's helped with the creation of this podcast. Shout out to my buddy, Jake, for making the jingle that you hear at the start <laughs> of each of these episodes, all the people that have said such incredibly nice things on Instagram to me about, you know, various things that we've discussed in these episodes. Your voice. Um, I mean, you know, that <laughs> I, I don't I don't know where this podcast goes from here. Like, obviously, this isn't the thing that we're trying to monetize, but it's just, you know, if nothing else, like those kind words and how much it seemed to mean to those people would, you know, make me you know, absolutely like full systems go for making a season two of this thing, wow. as well as like a whole roster of people I would love to talk to that we didn't get a chance to in season one. Um, but no, that's, I mean, just gratitude is the thing that comes to mind for me. Like, thank you for your kind reviews. Thank you for your comments. Thank you for your interest. This podcast exists, not just because Michelle and I like talking to each other, um, but because of your interest. And, you know, Tim, I obviously we're friends, but I think that this forced us to spend a lot of time with each other and stay in contact very closely. And for that, I am extremely grateful. And I am so excited because you were like, eh, we'll see how season one goes. We'll see if we want to. But the fact that you are in for season two is amazing. I love it. <sighs> Oh God, that sounds like a hard commitment after a <laughs> night, like a George RR R. Martin game of Thrones sized break. Do you know that I have never seen that show? You should start. I've heard, but I just, I th so the ending is real weird. Um, but the first many seasons of that are excellent. The books are also excellent. Uh, I'm trying to get into non-strength and conditioning or serious science books. So maybe I just started watching mind hunters, which is amazing. FYI for people, dude, you need like, you need more like nonsense in your life. Like you I need do sci-fi. You need some fantasy. Like I have two dogs. I have plenty of nonsense in my life. That's true. You do. <laughs> All right. We will end the grab ass there. Thank you so much for listening to season one of more train, less pain. Thank you for listening to this specific episode. Recommend it to your friends, subscribe, leave a review. We appreciate you so fucking much. Thank you for listening to the More Train, Less Pain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. 
The more positive reviews we get, the easier it becomes for fine movement professionals like you to find us, and the more time Michelle and I can devote to bringing on high-caliber guests and continuing to produce a high-quality show. If you're still listening, that means you're pretty cool, and that likely means your friends are pretty cool too. We'd love for them to become fans of the show. Spread the injury prevention love and the biomechanical knowledge by sharing a screenshot of your favorite episode on Instagram. Be sure to tag at Dr. Michelle Bolin and at Tim Richard DPT when you do. Now get out there and go train.